Strange Animals Podcast. Welcome to Strange Animals Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Shaw. This week, we're going to descend metaphorically into the depths of the ocean and learn about some deep-sea mystery fish spotted once from a bathysphere by famous naturalist William Beebe and never seen again. Deep Sea Fish is a suggestion by Paige, so thank you, Paige, for a fascinating and creepy addition to Monster Month. William Beebe was an American naturalist born in 1877 who lived until 1962, which is amazing considering he made repeated dives into the deep sea in the very first bathysphere in the early 1930s. We talked about bathyspheres way back in episode 27. You know, the one where I scream about them imploding and kind of freak out a little. Even today, descending into the deep sea is dangerous. And a hundred years ago, it was way, way, way more dangerous. Beebe was an early conservationist who urged other scientists to stop shooting so many animals. Back then, if you wanted to study an animal... You just went out and killed as many of them as you could find. Beebe pointed out the obvious, that this was wasteful and didn't provide nearly as much information as careful observation of living animals in the wild. He also pioneered the study of ecosystems, how animals fit into their environment and interact with it and each other. While Beebe mostly studied birds, he was also interested in underwater animals. Really, he seems to have been interested in everything. He studied birds all over the world, was a good taxidermist, and especially liked to study ocean life by dredging small animals up from the bottom and examining them. He survived a plane crash, was nearly killed by an erupting volcano he was observing, and fought in World War I. Once, when he broke his leg during an expedition and had to remain immobilized, He had his bed carried outside every day so he could make observations of the local animals as they grew used to his presence. In the 1920s, during an expedition to the Galapagos Islands, he started studying marine animals more closely. First, he just dangled from a rope over the surface of the ocean, which was attached to a ship's boom, but eventually he tried using a diving helmet. This was so successful that he started thinking about building a vessel that could withstand the pressures of the deep sea. With the help of engineer Otis Barton, the world's first bathysphere was invented and Barton and Beebe conducted dozens of descents in Bermuda, especially off the coast of Nonsuch Island. The bathysphere had two little windows and a single light that shone through one of the windows, illuminating the outside just enough to see fish and other animals. The bathysphere couldn't descend all that deeply, although it set records repeatedly. The deepest they descended was 3,028 feet, or 923 meters, but Beebe made careful notes of all the animals he observed and published many articles and books about them. Many of those articles and books were illustrated by an artist named Elsa Bostelman, who worked closely with Beebe and his team of scientists. Bostelman even painted underwater while wearing a diving helmet, 
because she needed to know how colors were affected by underwater light. She used oil paints since oil and water don't mix, so the paints wouldn't wash away, and she tied strings to her paintbrushes so they wouldn't float off. That is so cool. (laughs) I kind of want to do that, but that would mean getting in the ocean. If you're interested in reading a really interesting article about Bostelman or learning more about the bathysphere and William Beebe, check the show notes. I've included links to the article and to a 99% Invisible episode about the bathysphere. If you don't already listen to 99% Invisible, it's a really good podcast. Many of the animals Beebe saw from the bathysphere have since been identified and described by later scientists. But there are five fish that Beebe observed that have never been seen since. Before we talk about them, let's learn about Paige's suggestion, the Pacific Black Dragon, for reasons that will shortly become clear. The Pacific Black Dragon is a type of fish that lives in the Pacific, which you probably figured out without me telling you. It prefers tropical and temperate water, although since it's a deep-sea fish, the water where it lives is mostly very cold. If you remember episode 155 about extreme sexual dimorphism, where the males and females of a species look radically different, this fish is a good example. The male never eats. He can't eat. He doesn't have a functioning digestive system. He survives on the yolk from the egg he develops from and never grows any larger than his larval form, about 3 inches long or 8 centimeters. He lives long enough to mate and then he dies. The female, however, grows up to about 2 feet long or 61 centimeters. Her body is long and thin and her mouth is full of sharp teeth that she uses to grab anything she can catch. She especially likes to eat fish and small crustaceans, but she's not picky. Her body is black and not just regular black. It's called super black or ultra black. In episode 186, we talked about the eyed click beetle and velvet acidy, who both have super black markings that absorb most of the light that hits them. Well, the Pacific black dragon is super black almost all over to help hide in the darkness of the water, since it's an ambush predator. Just under the fish's skin, there's a layer of closely packed pigment-containing structures called melisomes, which can absorb up to 99.95% of light. As if that wasn't enough, because a lot of the animals the black dragon eats emit bioluminescent light, her stomach is also black to block any light from the prey she's swallowed. But although she's basically invisible to other animals, she does have several rows of light-emitting cells called photophores along her sides. Scientists think she uses the lights to attract a mate, but she only flashes the photophores occasionally and only for brief moments. She also has a barbel that hangs from her chin with a luminescent lure at the end which she uses to attract prey. While the Pacific black dragon is a deep-sea fish, at night she migrates upward nearer the surface to catch more prey, although she still stays below about 1,300 feet deep, or 400 meters. She has large eyes as a result to take advantage of any moonlight and starlight that shines down that far. 
During the day, she stays deeper, up to 3,200 feet deep or 1,000 meters. Speaking of the Pacific black dragon's eyes, larval black dragons have eyes on long stalks, really long stalks, nearly half their body length. As the larva matures, it absorbs the stalks until the adult fish has ordinary fish eyes. The larvae are also mostly transparent. There are two other black dragon species known, both of them a little smaller than the Pacific black dragon. But in 1932, William Beebe spotted a fish that he thought might be related to the black dragons, except that he estimated it was 6 feet long, or 1.8 meters. Beebe named the fish Bathysphera intacta, but there's no type specimen, so no one can study it and verify whether it's a species of black dragon or something else. Beebe said the fish he saw had large eyes, lots of teeth, and photophores along its sides that glowed blue, and had a barbel with a light under its tin, just like the Pacific black dragon and its cousins. But it also had another smaller barbel with a light near the tail. Beebe saw two of the fish together. They circled the bathysphere a few times, probably attracted to its light. Another of Beebe's mystery fish is one he named the pallid sailfin, Bathyembrix istiophasma. He saw it twice on the same descent in 1934, and described it as about 2 feet long, or 61 centimeters, shaped like a cigar with triangular fins and a tiny tail. In fact, in his book Half Mile Down, Beebe described the fish this way, quote, The strange fish was at least two feet in length, wholly without lights or luminosity, with a small eye and good-sized mouth. Later, when it shifted a little backwards, I saw a long, rather wide, but evidently filamentous pectoral fin. The two most unusual things were first the color which in the light was an unpleasant pale olive drab, the hue of water-soaked flesh, an unhealthy buff. It was a color worthy of these black depths, like the sickly sprouts of plants in a cellar. Another strange thing was its almost tailless condition, the caudal fin being reduced to a tiny knob or button, while the vertical fins, taking its place, rose high above and stretched far beneath the body, these fins also being colorless, unquote. Beebe assigned the pallid sailfish into the family Stomiidae, the same family that Bathysphera intacta is assigned to, as well as the other black dragons. As a group, the fish in this family are called barbled dragonfish. Some species in this family do show a similar tail arrangement that Beebe noted, with a very small tail fin but enlarged anal and dorsal fins, that are set well back on the body. This includes a weird fish with various names, including black hingehead, black loose jaw, or lightless loose jaw, which maybe gives you an idea of what it might look like. It's a deep sea fish like all the barbled dragonfish, and it's black in color. It grows about 10 inches long, or almost 26 centimeters. It's also sometimes called the stoplight loose jaw, because it has two photophores on its head, one of which shines green, the other which shines red. Unlike most deep-sea fish, it can see in the red spectrum, so the green photophore may attract prey, and the red photophore allows the loose jaw to see its prey 
even though the prey can't see the loose jaw, but mainly it has remarkable jaws. The loose jaw's jaws are hinged and extremely large compared to its body, which is fairly thin. The jaws are so large that they're not even attached to the body, just to its head. They aren't even connected to the body with skin. It's hard to describe, but I have some good pictures of a model of the fish in the show notes. Basically, the jaws are just bones covered with a thin layer of skin, but no skin or muscle in between the bones. If you put your thumb under your chin, you can feel your chin bone, and then move your thumb backwards and instead of bone, you feel skin over layers of fat and muscle and other tissues that make up the soft part under your jaw. Well, the loose jaw doesn't have those soft parts. It just has the chin bone and there's literally nothing between the jaws. It doesn't have a throat or cheeks or anything like that. Honestly, I did not believe my eyes when I first looked at the pictures. I thought I was misinterpreting what I was seeing or that the specimen had been damaged, but no, that's really what it looks like. Its jaws aren't big because it needs to swallow big things. Its jaws are big so it has a longer reach to snag the small fish and crustaceans it eats. It has a lot of needle-like teeth that it uses to keep its prey from wriggling away while it maneuvers it into its gullet. It mostly eats very small animals, but it's not going to let anything get away once it gets within jaw range. While I was researching this episode, I spent a ridiculous amount of time trying to find the episode where I talked about the umbrella fish, thinking it might be related to the loose jaw. It's not, and I finally realized the umbrella fish episode was for patrons. I've unlocked that Patreon episode and linked to it in the show notes if you want to go listen to it. The umbrella fish, also called the gulper eel, looks superficially like the loose jaw, but it has skin over its huge hinged jaws. Deep sea fish are the best fish. I think we can all agree about this. After my inability to properly describe the loose jaw's amazing jaws, let's move on to Bibi's other mystery fish. One he named the three-starred anglerfish, Bathyceratius trilucnus, which he estimated was about 6 inches long or 15 centimeters. It had three bioluminescent elysia on its head that it probably used as lures, since that's something that other deep-sea anglerfish do, and Bibi was pretty sure it was actually a species of anglerfish. Since there are over 200 known species of anglerfish, it's not surprising that there are more that aren't known. Another of the mystery fish was the five-lined constellation fish, Bathycetus pentagrammus, named for the five rows of photophores on its sides. Bibi thought it looked kind of like a surgeon fish, which is a flat, round fish shaped sort of like a pancake with fins and a tail. But surgeon fish are mostly found in shallow tropical waters around coral reefs. They're often brightly colored. Bibi didn't assign his constellation fish to the surgeon fish's family, and in fact didn't assign it to any family since he didn't know where it belonged. The last of Bibi's mystery fish was the rainbow gar, which he didn't give a scientific name to since he had no idea what kind of fish it might be. He thought it was shaped like a gar, but it was so extraordinary he didn't know what to think. 
he actually saw four of them swimming almost vertically, heads up and tails down, at about 2,500 feet deep, or 760 meters. He named them Rainbow Gar because of their coloring, bright red head and jaws, a light blue body, and a yellow tail. They were about four inches long, or a little over 10 centimeters, with long, pointed jaws. They moved by fanning the dorsal fin, sort of like a seahorse. Beebe wrote scientific articles about some of these fish and included them all in his book Half Mile Down. But it wasn't long before other scientists started doubting the sightings. Some people thought he'd made up the fish to make his expeditions more exciting. Some thought he was just mistaken. One irate ichthyologist wrote in 1933 that the constellation fish was probably just light reflecting off Beebe's own breath fogging the window, because no fish had photophores like the ones he described. Because I guess in 1933, everything was known about fish that would ever be known, right? That was sarcasm. Beebe seems to have been an honest scientist, though, and he didn't really need to make anything up. He discovered dozens, if not hundreds, of fish new to science, many of which have either been found and properly described later, or which Beebe himself managed to later catch. Whenever he and Barton came up from a descent in the bathysphere, Beebe had his team on the boat send down nets, and sometimes they caught some of the animals he had seen. This allowed Bostelman to add details to her paintings that Beebe wouldn't have known about from just a look through the bathysphere's windows. Not only that, if Beebe wanted to make up a fish that would excite the general public and make them want to buy his books, he would have made up something huge and frightening. His mystery fish are mostly quite small. Only Bathysphera intacta was large, and he only said they were about six feet long. That's big for a deep-sea fish, but remember that the bathysphere never made it to the really crushing depths of the abyss. It descended into the mesopelagic zone, which is extremely dark, but not completely lightless. There's also a lot of life in this zone, and many fish that spend the day here migrate nearer the surface at night where they can find more food while still remaining hidden. The long-snouted lancet fish lives in this zone, and it can grow 7 feet long, or 2.15 meters. Plus, honestly, Bibi did not need to convince anyone to buy his books. They were already runaway bestsellers, and he was quite famous, although it seems not to have gone to his head. He just wanted to have fun and do science. He actually seems to have been a good person by modern standards, too, which is always refreshing. He disagreed with people who claimed to have scientific proof that women were inferior to men or that some races were inferior to others. He insisted that his team members work hard, but he worked hard too, and if he thought everyone was feeling too stressed, he'd announced that his birthday was coming up and they should take a few days off to celebrate. Some years, he had several birthdays. Bibi did spot one other mystery animal but he didn't get a good enough view to make a guess as to what it might be. This is what he wrote about it. Quote, I saw its complete, shadow-like contour as it passed through the farthest end of the beam of light. Twenty feet is the least possible estimate I can give to its full length, and it was deep in proportion. The whole fish was monochrome, 
and I could not see even an eye or a fin. For the majority of the size-conscious human race, this marine monster would, I suppose, be the supreme sight of the expedition. In shape, it was a deep oval. It swam without evident effort, and it did not return. That is all I can contribute, and while its unusual size so excited me that for several hundred feet, I kept keenly on the lookout for hints of the same or other large fish, I soon forgot it in the very literal light of smaller but more distinct and interesting organisms. What this great creature was, I cannot say. A first and most reasonable guess would be a small whale or blackfish, or less likely it may have been a whale shark, which is known to reach a length of 40 feet. Whatever it was, it appeared and vanished so unexpectedly and showed so dimly that it was quite unidentifiable, except as a large living creature, unquote. 20 feet is 6 meters, by the way. It might easily have been a whale, since many species of whale routinely dive much farther than the bathysphere descended at its deepest. Whatever it was, and whatever Beebe's other five mystery fish were, hopefully one day a modern deep-sea vehicle will find them again. You can find Strange Animals Podcast online at strangeanimalspodcast.blueberry.net. That's blueberry without any ease. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, email us at strangeanimalspodcast at gmail.com. If you like the podcast and want to help us out, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or just tell a friend. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash strangeanimalspodcast if you'd like to support us that way. Don't forget to enter our book giveaway if you haven't already, too. Details are on the website and you still have a few weeks. Thanks for listening. Ah, my foot's falling asleep because I'm sitting in a weird position so I can reach the mic because that's easier than adjusting the mic, right? Anyway, my foot has totally fallen asleep. Good job.